Welcome, and thanks for joining us for another sermon from True Vine Baptist Church and Pastor Josh LaGrange. This week, we dissect and learn from the model prayer of Christ. You can join us by turning in your Bibles to John chapter 17 as Pastor Josh LaGrange delivers his sermon titled, Active, Consistent, and Fervent Prayer, Part 2. John 17, continuing in this uh, brief break from the book of Romans. Let's read this chapter together and then we'll pray and ask for help and get into the text here. So beginning in verse 1. Jesus spoke these things and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Even as you gave him authority over all flesh that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you, for the words which you gave me I have given to them, and they received them and truly understood that I came forth from you, and they believed that you sent me. I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all things that are mine are yours and yours are mine and I have been glorified in them. I am no longer in the world and yet they themselves are in the world and I come to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me that they may be one even as we are. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me, and I guarded them, and not one of them perished but the son of perdition, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I have given them your world, your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I, have, I also have sent them into the world. For their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory, which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you. 
and these have known that you sent me. And I have made your name known to them and will make it known so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Please bow with me and let's pray. God in heaven, over the course of this next time that we're gonna spend here studying, I ask, O Lord, Father, we pray that you will send your Holy Spirit. God, we are incapable, incapable of spiritual things apart from your grace, apart from your power. Lord, there is nothing more that the demonic forces would love than to ruin this time in a hundred different ways by distracting us, by bringing chaos, Lord, by bringing me to mess things up in, in communicating your word. Father, I want to ask for just the miracles, Lord, that you will intervene, that you will work in such a way that you protect this time, oh God, that we see your truth and that we be transformed by it. God, please give your grace that we will see you, see how you've made us, see how you've designed this world and particularly in what we're looking at today, see how you have given us this gift of prayer. So Father, I, I, I pray, show us your truths, give us the ability to think deeply. But Father, also, Lord, that you will make us holy, bring about change, Father, transform us by your word. Help me to preach and teach, to do what's helpful, useful. Please protect my lips, O oh God, not to speak error or anything that would be unhelpful, O oh God, and bless all of us, O oh God, that we bow beneath you, O oh Lord. So please come and meet with us. We ask for these things in the name of Christ. Amen. There's a hymn that we sing occasionally and that we love here called... <coughs> I ask the Lord that I might grow. The song preaches a bit of a mini sermon in it. So just, just listen to it for a second here. The song says, I ask the Lord that I might grow in faith and love and every grace, might more of his salvation know and seek more earnestly his face. Twas he who taught me thus to pray and he I trust has answered prayer. But it has been in such a way as almost drove me to despair. I hoped that in some favored hour at once he'd answer my request and by his love's constraining power subdue my sins and give me rest. Instead of this, he made me feel the hidden evils of my heart. And let the angry powers of hell assault my soul in every part. Yea, more, with his own hand he seemed to aggravate my woe, crossed all the fair designs I schemed, humbled my heart, and laid me low. Lord, why is this? I trembling cried. Will thou pursue thy worm to death? Tis in this way, the Lord replied. I answer prayer for grace and faith. These inward trials I employ from self and pride to set you free and break thy schemes of earthly joy that thou mayst find your all in me. We saw last Sunday, as we began this two-part series on prayer here, we spent most of our time looking at the theology of prayer the big overview, and there are several points we brought out that kind of um, make the biggest change in the way that we think about it. 
Most of this part comes from James 4, where we're shown ways that we get prayer wrong. We saw that the biggest way we get prayer wrong is just simply by not doing it. But we saw that probably the second biggest way we get prayer wrong is by asking for the wrong kinds of things. But Christians down through the centuries have come to see that once we begin to see it rightly, once we begin to pray in a way that honors God, we're asking for the right things. Prayer becomes so effective, it's scary. Prayer becomes so effective that we begin to see so much of God answering the request we ask. This is wrong. But there can even come times we begin to be afraid to ask for certain things. Because the way he answers is so powerful that it is scary. We know we trust God. He always does it as good. We never have to wonder if God's going to give us bad things. He never does. But he does give us hard things. Hard things that lead to our good. But once we begin to see with, with new eyes, begin to see God in a new way, ourselves in a new way, the purpose and meaning of life rightly, and we begin to pray according to the right kinds of ways, we begin to see a transformation where God begins to answer our requests in just a way we've never seen before. We saw two main points last Sunday. It's been seven days. We're kind of building on last week. For some of you, it's been seven stressful days. So just a brief recap of some of the main theology we looked at, just a, just a minute here, and then we're going to build on that and go on. We saw two points. The first one being that Jesus gives prayer promises. Jesus often speaks in the scripture to give us confidence in our praying over and over again, he speaks in such a way so that to, so as to give confidence that we, when we who are in Christ, and there's a, every word of that sentence was important. When we who are in Christ, when we come to the father, we have confidence that he loves us, cares for us, hears our prayers and delights to answer the prayers of his people. But there was another truth that we saw is very important that we attach to that. God the Father is committed to never give us anything that is bad for us. And we saw the fact that oftentimes a way that we get prayer wrong is we're asking for things with the wrong kind of perspective. We get it wrong sometimes. We're asking God to give us an easy life when that's not his intentions for us. God's intentions is that we live for his glory, that we come to know him, be made holy, and that we serve him in usefulness. That's what his intentions and purposes for us are. So that's what prayer is about. All the purpose of the cosmos is that the name of Jesus Christ be magnified to the highest place so that angels and men see his glory. That's what your life is about. That's what prayer is about. When we begin to see in these kinds of ways, we start to see a shift in what we ask for. And this brings the great change. We then moved on to see some other, other kinds of ways of how we get prayer wrong. Uh, that sometimes we fail to pray because we fail to see our desperation and need and weakness. Other times we fail to desire the right things. So when we don't want the right things, we're not asking for the right things. We have to see all things in this perspective. The meaning of life the purpose of the cosmos that we see in the scriptures is the underlying reason why God has given us prayer. So now this Sunday, 
Building on that, now that we know that we got to get our thinking right, we got to get our desires right, here's kind of the most natural question that would flow from that. What are the kinds of things we ought to be asking for? What are the kinds of things we ought to be praying for? In Luke 11, there's a passage where the disciples say to Jesus, they make this request, Lord, teach us how to pray. It's an apt request because we can get prayer wrong in a lot of ways. We've talked and we know about ways that heretics get prayer wrong, okay? There's really obvious ways. But friends, there are also ways that truly born again saints of God can get prayer wrong as well. So we often see Jesus teaching us how to pray. There are times where he just comes out and says, pray like this. I like it when it's that easy. There are other times where he is praying and he's giving us a model of how to do it. He's giving us something to imitate, just like other places in the Bible. We'll show some of our Bible heroes like Daniel, like David in the Psalms, like Moses, praying. And we see that what they prayed honored God. So we're like, okay, I got something to imitate there. What are the things that these godly saints pray for that we can imitate as well to learn the kinds of things we ought to be asking? So that's, that's some of what we're going to consider today. So two more points this Sunday in our outline, our ongoing outline here, it's points three and four. Point three will be, what should we pray for? That's where we're gonna spend most of our time today. And then we'll come to the end and just kind of look practical strategies for just a moment. So what should we pray for? Before I even begin to answer that question, let me first of all address this part. When we pray, should we even be asking for things? The reason I bring that up is... (laughs) The bogus ideas on prayer are like the demon legion. There are many of those kinds of misunderstandings out there. Have you ever heard this one? Maybe floats around in little email chains or social media memes. When you pray, when you pray, don't ask for anything. That would just be selfish. When you pray, just praise God. Prayer's just meant to be about dialogue with God. Man, that sounds spiritual maybe even like super spiritual. The question to ask anytime anybody says anything about God is this, where is that in the Bible? Where is that in the Bible? It is unbiblical. It might sound spiritual, but it is not. Friends, the Bible tells us to ask God. The Bible tells us that's not a selfish thing. It's Not the only thing that we do in prayer, but it is one of the primary things that we're shown. It's not a selfish thing. Listen to me. We are actually honoring God when we come to him humbly and see him as the sovereign great one. I am a helpless worm. I need you, oh God. Us understanding that relationship glorifies God. God wants us to come to him knowing that we are weak and we are in need and we cry out to him. We're actually honoring God. Jesus even told parables that are surprising about prayer. Like the widow who kept persistently asking for justice again and again and again and again. And Jesus said the judge finally just granted her justice, not because he liked her, but because she wouldn't shut up. And then Jesus says, pray like that. (laughs) And we're kind of going, really? Like, like that kind of, and Jesus said that persistence honors God. 
Jacob wrestling with God, grabbing on and saying, I'm not letting go until you bless me. We could think, oh, that's, that's presumptuous. And God says, this honors me when you know you need me. So yes, we ask. Let me roll through a few subpoints here, of, uh, subpoints of various passages where we're shown the kinds of things to pray for. We begin in letter A here, John 17. John 17, where we read here. Let me show you from this passage, seven big things that Jesus prays for. Six of them are things that he prays for us. There's a special point with the first one here, and we'll make some notes about that. But Jesus prays for things to happen here, which affect our eternal joy there. So here's number one, if you're taking notes. Jesus prays for the Father to glorify him. Look at verse five. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Christian, you've been brought into something that is bigger than you infinitely bigger than you. And this is to be the highest priority of our prayers. Now, I want to say that again. The glory of God displaying the supremacy of Christ is to be the highest priority of our praying. I know that sounds weird to the world, right? When the world hears about, whenever Christians talk about the power of prayer, prayer changes things, we say things like that, those who reject Christ may lean in a little bit and think, huh, there's maybe something to this prayer thing. I can get God to do things for me. And they're maybe thinking of that divine butler kind of analogy there. I, there's a way I can get God to give me what I want. Friends, this is why the prosperity gospel is so popular. The promises that, hey, you love Jesus, he's gonna give you riches. Why are there millions flocking to this? Because it's what the greedy heart wants. But when we begin to see, when we begin to see our priorities in praying that the highest priority, in fact, the intention behind even other requests we ask for is that God's name will be exalted so that men and angels will see how amazing he is. There are some who grow uninterested in prayer there. We have to see that this is the highest priority, that what we are about is the purpose of the cosmos. Our greatest desire must become the greatest desire of God. And the greatest desire of God is to display his glory. It's a transformation of thinking. It's a transformation of heart that comes when we begin to pray. And with tears, we cry out, God, show how awesome you are. Are. Make the name of Christ to be known. This is where Jesus begins his praying. And we're going to come back to this as we keep seeing other passages over and over again. This is where we start. But here's number two. Jesus prays that we Christians. Now, sorry, note takers, pause there for just a second. Do you notice that Jesus said, I do not pray for the world says, I pray for those whom the Father has given me, the elect, those who are in Christ. Why does Jesus not pray for the world? Because those who reject Christ are the enemies of God. 
Jesus is not the intercessor for the whole world. Jesus is the intercessor for his people. The promises of God are for his people, not for those who reject Christ, not for those who refuse to treat him as Lord. You become a part of his people when you personally turn and believe Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Savior. He is the only way you have any hope of eternal life. Until you turn your heart in submission and trust in Christ, you are not among that group that are his people. But you can become a part of his people even where you sit right now. Turn to trust in Christ. This is how you are brought into this kingdom. But continuing on, Jesus prays that Christians would know the Father and know the Son. Now, one of the things we're going to see come out over and over again is when Jesus prays for us to know him, he is also praying for our greatest joy and fulfillment. Where will you find your greatest joy? How will you? This is not just churchy answers. Don't just think this is preacher talk. How will you come to your greatest fulfillment, your greatest joy, where you have the greatest satisfaction? It will come in direct relation to your knowledge of God, to how closely you have come to him. Knowing God through the son by the help of the Holy Spirit. Continuing on, number three, Jesus prays that Christians will be kept, will be kept, kept in salvation and kept near to him. Now, I want you to think about that. How, how amazing, like I, every time I come to John 17 and I bring you there quite a bit on Sunday mornings, we just keep coming back to it. It's just so full of theology. I'm just always blown away at what a big deal it is that Jesus as our high priest prayed right here, request that would linger through the millennia to believers, you are still benefiting from Jesus praying for you 2,000 years ago. What an incredible kind of thought there. Jesus prays that we would be kept in salvation. Now here's one additional point. I always can't help but throw sub points in here all over the place. An apt question to ask somebody who believes that you can lose their salvation is this. Do you really think that Jesus prayed that saved believers would be kept in salvation down through the ages and the father told him no? Jesus prays that we would be kept in salvation. But there's more to it than that. Because the Bible teaches that being kept in salvation is not this scenario. It is not that Christians can drift away from God, live like an unrepentant, lost person, and yet still have eternal life. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says both of these truths. The person who is truly saved will remain saved, but also the person who is truly saved will persevere till the end. He who endures till the end will be saved. Yes, it is occasionally the case that believers will drift into seasons of stupidity, seasons of disobedience. But mark this, every single time true Christians are brought back to repentance and obedience to God. When Jesus teaches us to pray that we be kept, we pray for things like, keep me from growing cold. Keep me from drifting from you. Keep me from falling into disobedience. 
I may want to obey you now, but I know that stupidity comes upon me. Keep me from drifting into stupid, stupidity. Number four, Jesus prays for our joy to be made full. Of course, you misunderstand if you think Jesus is praying for temporary happiness in houses, money, winning the lottery, health. He is praying for your joy, our joy now, but rooted in our joy later, your greatest joy coming in knowing and walking with him. Christians, pray for your joy. Add this to your list. What an amazing thing that we can pray things like this, that God wants you to come to joy. Number five, he prays that we be kept from the evil one. Number six, he prays that we would be sanctified. Look at verse 17, which means made holy and that it would happen by the truth, by the word of God. Every true Christian will be sanctified to some degree. There is no such thing as a Christian who makes no sanctified progress. But friend, the greater the progress, the greater the joy, the greater the holiness, the fuller the joy. So Jesus teaches us to pray for our sanctification. Number seven, he prays that Christians would have unity, that we would be made one. He says perfected in unity, so much more to teach there. But that he also adds this in, as we come to love one another, as a church family has sweet fellowship, genuine care for one another. When there is real unity, what did he say here in the passage? The world will see something odd and see there is something to this. They will see that we belong to Jesus. They will see the truth through the unity. We are to pray for unity as well. Our unity with other believers, our unity as a local church family. So these are things Jesus teaches us to pray. These are things for us to. What would happen if you and I jotted down these seven, tucked them in our Bible, and then every single morning we worked through these kinds of things? Would God answer? You betcha. These are the kinds of things God delights to answer. But we not only have that, it's not just that these are seven specific things. We're starting to get a feel for the kinds of things we're shown to pray for. And there are more passages. Let me take you to another model of prayer. Turn to Matthew chapter six with me, please. Matthew six, a passage you're probably familiar with, oftentimes called the Lord's Prayer. I think maybe a better title for it is the Lord's Model Prayer. Matthew 6, find verse 9, pray then in this way, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, Notice where Jesus begins once again in what to pray. Where is the priority put? The very first request is about the glory of God. The very first request is asking God to hallow his name. What it means for God to hallow his name means for his name to be treated as holy. So make your name to be treated as holy. 
Work in the world in such a way that you show your worth, your greatness, your majesty, your supremacy. If you ever have one of those moments in worship, hopefully it's a regular thing, you're in worship and you are just moved to see God in a way you never have before. You see him as bigger, yourself as smaller, you fear him more, love him more, more, are more astounded. In that moment, what God has done is God has hallowed his name. God has shown you his glory. When a lost person who is not trusting in Christ, in that first moment that they respond, here's how the Bible describes it. God has opened their eyes to see his glory through the face of his son. So what does this teach us? about how we are to pray. When we ask God to hallow his name, understand that we, it's not just about reciting one line. There's a way to make these things specific. We can pray for God to hallow his name in my life, which means show me more, like Moses on the mountain. When he prayed and asked God, show me your glory. We can pray this for others. Hallow your name to my children, that they will come to see that you are glorious. And so friends, you just always see that this is the starting point. And there's a reason why. As we personally come to see God as glorious, come to understand the supremacy of God. What this does is then ignites us to every other area of our lives. What's the secret to serving God with great energy and zeal? Well, the secret is having the zeal. The, the secret is that worship is stirred inside of us in such a way that it just becomes like lava inside of us just setting fire inside to our soul where we just become desiring to obey when it moves from duty to delight, when it moves from obligation to desire, as we cross into this realm of this is what I want, this is how it begins. Friends, over and over again in the Bible, we see this logic right here, Psalm 51, which uh, I was so grateful for the song this morning from Psalm 51. Here's part of the logic that goes on in Psalm 51. When you read that, so much theology in that passage, and he prays for God to magnify his name for his namesake to show things. Here's part of the logic and reasoning that happens there. David, after his sin with Bathsheba, in his prayer of repentance, he prays this, let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. So what he's saying is, God, I've had despair. My soul has shriveled in my guilt, in the emptiness of living in my sin. But I wanna, I wanna come to that worship again. I wanna know you. I wanna come to, I wanna come to joy again. I wanna have that zeal, that desire. I wanna burn inside of me to long for you. So right after he says that, here's the very next thing he says. Then... I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will be converted to you. Oh Lord, open my lips that my mouth may declare your praise. Here's the logic. When worship and zeal is bursting inside of us, what do we do? We tell other people. 
we jump in and we serve. When I see the glory of God, I tell others about the glory of God. And sinners are converted. Believers are built up. Do you see that this is a foundational kind of request? Asking for God to magnify his name to us, through us, to everybody I love. This is always why there is a starting point here. And we just see it all through the Bible. Once we start looking for this, you'll see it everywhere. All through the Psalms, you'll see worshipers ask for something and then they attach this as the root motivation. For your name's sake. Oh God, heal my friend for your name's sake. Show your glory in this. So this is what God is about. This is God's intentions. This is to be what we desire as well. God is working for your everlasting joy. But your everlasting joy will come as you know him, are made holy, serve him in usefulness. You will glorify him. So this should be what we are praying as well. Well, in that same kind of vein, let me take you to some other places as well. Actually, let me just reference some other places other places in the Bible that rattle off additional kinds of requests. You can look through the rest of the Lord's model prayer there and look at each one and look at what we're asking for. And you can see it is God-centered. It's not comfort-centered. It's how do I glorify God? Here is how. Other places in the Bible show us other things to pray for. So we've seen seven from John 17. As you look at the Lord's model prayer there in Matthew 6, there are about six requests that we're taught to pray there. Let me show you 22 more. We won't spend as much time as we have on those. This is not exhaustive. As you read through the Bible, there are all kinds. I mean, there are 150 Psalms. All the Psalms are songs of worship, songs of <laughs> prayer to God, teaching us more things to ask. But in trying to help us get a handle on what are the kinds of things God teaches us to pray, let me list off 22 more. You may say at the end of that, well, why didn't you say this one? Well, I'm an idiot sometimes. 22 more here, are the things I think could be the kinds of things that we ought to pray for. Number one, book of Hebrews teaches us to boldly approach the throne and ask for help. Help. Really, you can take that one single sentence and just apply it to thousands of different scenarios. Everything we're walking into, whether it be physical, earthly, spiritual, heavenly, you're going to give a presentation. God, give me help. You're facing a temptation. God, give me help. Number two, Jesus said to pray to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Number three, James says to pray for wisdom. I can give these to you at the end if you're taking notes and can't keep up. Pray for wisdom. Other places, a similar kind of thing. Tell us to pray to be able to discern God's will. Number four, in Acts 4, the early church prayed for boldness to share the gospel. They were going through persecution and did not ask for the persecution to end. They asked that in the midst of it, they would declare the word of God boldly. Number five, we're shown to pray and ask for opportunities to share the gospel. Number six, in Colossians 1, we're shown to pray for strength, physical and spiritual. Number seven, several places we're shown to pray and ask for our faith to be strengthened. 
And so not only do you have some of those specific things I've just mentioned, but we can also take this then as a pattern. If we're shown to pray for those virtues, then number eight, every virtue is something to pray and ask for. In every passage that we're shown here is a desirable part of holiness, then it's something to add to our list and pray for. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, other passages, humility, holiness, change of attitude, change of thinking, etc., etc. Number nine, pray against your sins and lust. Get specific, call them by name. We can put all of those things that we've just mentioned in the category of praying for yourself. So yes, by the way, you should pray for yourself. Another bogus idea about prayer you may have heard this come from somebody who just really thinks they're holier than Jesus. When I pray, oh, I don't pray for myself. Oh, no, no. I just pray for others. Again, unbiblical can sound spiritual, but unbiblical. Listen to me. Your very first area of responsibility is managing your vessel so as to give glory to God. Yes, pray for yourself. But friends, also just think about it practically. What is the greatest gift that you can give to the people that you love? The greatest gift you can give is the gospel. But very much attached to that is your usefulness in being able to helpfully show the gospel. <laughs> Friends, you being the best version of yourself, the most godly, holy, useful, skilled version of yourself is the best blessing you can give. Husbands, what could you give your wives that would be better than this? Parents, what could you give to your children that would be better than the most godly and holy version of yourself? This is how we serve the world. How we serve the world, how we become usefulness is growing in Christ. Yes, pray for yourself. So do we see that it's always coming back to this? Parents, what is the absolute greatest thing that God could give to your children? to see his glory, to see that he is glorious and turn to him to be saved and have eternal life. And then once your children become Christians, if you're confident that your children have trusted Christ, what's now the greatest gift that God could give them? To show them more of his glory so that their heart is energized to want to grow in holiness, serve Christ. This will lead to their everlasting joy. There's a reason why this is always the foundation, the seeing of the glory of God. But then the praying to be made holy so as to glorify God, praying for growth in Christ. So we pray these things for ourselves. But friends, this is also the category, what should we pray for others? These are the kinds of things we pray for others. Now, let me add this in as well. By all means, pray for those you love in their earthly flourishing. I do not want to give the impression that it is somehow evil to pray for those things. Now, I'm, I'm bashing on them kind of hard, some of these things, because like I just can't see any godly way of wanting to pray to win the lottery. Okay, like I can't see any holy motives in that kind of thing. But don't come to the conclusion that it is somehow evil to pray for earthly flourishing and for people's good. We see the Bible in several places show us to pray for that. But we have to understand this. Those earthly kinds of things, that's not king. 
Your child could become star of the football team and go to hell. So who cares? Who cares if he gets his face on the cover of a magazine? The things of God take priority. The things of eternity take priority. So it's not wrong to pray for earthly flourishing. So number 10, several places show us to pray for increase and for health and for uh, glad flourishing to come on life. But we have to keep things in priority. Number 11, let me continue through the list. Jesus told us several times that we should pray for God to raise up workers to go into the harvest. What a cool thing it is in this life of this church family that we have been praying this for years and we are seeing God doing it. Not only workers who serve God here, but workers going to the nations. Number 12, in 1 Timothy, we're told to pray for our governing leaders that they'll be saved, that would be a great thing, and that they would have wisdom. Number 13, 1 Timothy tells us to pray that we can live in peace because our rulers grant religious freedoms. Number 14, numerous places in the New Testament, like Romans 15, call Christians to pray for the success of the gospel. That pastors, missionaries, evangelists, teachers, and all Christians would be effective in their work and that souls would be saved. Number 15, in Philippians 1, Paul mentions that those Christians had been praying for him to be released from prison. We ought to pray for persecuted believers and both physically and spiritually. Pray for their release. Pray for a, a lightening of the weight of persecution, but also pray for their endurance and perseverance through these things. Number 16, we're shown that we can pray and ask for God's justice and judgment on the wicked. Now we gotta be real careful here that we not go asking this in some kind, of, some kind of personal vendetta sort of thing. No, no, no. That is not going to honor God in any way. But praying for Kim Jong-un to be removed from his position, yes. Christians all over the world pray this regularly. Number 17, Jesus tells us to pray for demons to stop oppressing people. Number 18, several times the apostles prayed and asked God to grant signs and wonders, miracles for God to show his glory. Now, Regardless of your views on whether sign gifts are still around, I believe that that age is finished. But of course, we still believe God works miracles, that God displays his glory through these things. Number 19, in Hebrews, we're taught to pray for our church's leaders. Let me just add a personal word here. We need more prayer than maybe you think that we do. Sometimes people get this wrong kind of idea that, pastors, ministers, they, they somehow become super Christians who don't struggle. Because the reality is there are anyone who is involved in the work of the gospel is hit heavily by Satan, wanting to make a mockery of the gospel, a mockery of the church by causing leaders to fall. Pray for our marriages. Pray for our family time. Pray for us to walk closely with Christ. Pray for our personal worship. Pray that we not be stupid. Pray and ask for God's grace. Number 20, the New Testament tells us that as a church, we are to pray for one another, believers in the church family. Number 21, the Psalms show us repeatedly. We can ask God questions. We can ask God's questions that trouble us. Questions like, 
Lord, why do the wicked prosper? Now, let me say something there. As I said that question, a question that is asked in the Psalms, you may say, oh, well, that's obvious. And you can think of a verse from the Bible that you can spit out and answer it. But you didn't always know that. There came a time that you learned that. As you have questions that trouble you, ask God in prayer. Ask God to lead you to answers. If you do this, you will find sometimes it to be uncanny that the next morning when you open your Bible for your Bible study, huh, there's the answer. God led you in grace. There are many questions God will not answer because it's not for us to know. He is the sovereign one. But you will find that if you ask God questions that trouble you, God will oftentimes lead us to answers. By personal testimony, I could mention half a dozen big questions that eventually God led to answers and satisfaction in those answers and helped to understand them. And now 22, we could have done so many more, but I'll, I'll end with this one for some teaching purposes. Jesus prayed and asked that the pain of the cross would be removed. But the way that he asked it is incredibly important. Here's how he worded it. My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Notice a couple things there. Number one, it is okay to ask for pain to be removed. It is, it is a good thing to come to the father and ask for difficulty to be removed, ask for pain to be alleviated, chaos brought to order, heartache to be healed. But we are to ask in the right ways. When we ask the things that we're not sure if God will give, we must ask with a submissive spirit. So remember, we've said there are some things the Bible teaches us to ask. And when we ask them, you're going to get them if we pray in the right way. James says, pray for wisdom, pray for it in the right way. You're getting wisdom. We don't have to wonder whether or not God is willing. But there are many things we don't know if God will give. When we ask for those, we are to ask with a submissive kind of spirit. Friends, God orchestrates the difficulty of our lives. He uses it as kind of like the chisel of affliction in chipping off the parts of us that need to be removed in order to form us in the image of Christ. God has purposes. So it is okay to ask for them to be re removed, but we must know it will come in God's timing and that it may be his will for us to stay there until glory. We must ask in a submissive kind of way. I think when Jesus asked that question, he knew the answer, but he was teaching us in what and how he asked it. All right, coming to the last part now. Let's talk some practicalities. Number four is go do this. Let's talk strategy. Scripture calls us to pray persistently. Tells us to ask and seek and knock and keep asking. Scripture uses the Greek word agon, which is where we get our English word agony and agonize to describe how we are to strive in our praying. Romans 12, 12 tells us to be devoted to prayer. There's a call to work at it. There's a call to discipline ourselves. So in other words, there's a call to work at it and not just do it when it's convenient or as it comes easily, but to set ourselves to these kinds of things. So what will be your strategy? You who are doing it, what is your way if you have no plan, then you know how life works. You know, we may do it, 
but we won't do it diligently. We won't do it with excellence. So what's your strategy? Many Christians have found it helpful to do things like make a list. I don't think there's been a single practical thing that I've done that helped my prayer life more than this. To just write out the things that are there. Many Christians find that whenever they just try to get quiet and there's no strategy, no model that their mind goes squirrel and just begins to think of all of the random distractions that can go on out there. So developing a list and systematically working through it is a method that many find helpful. I challenged you last week, part of the homework, to come up with a list of the top 10 things that you believe you ought to pray for. What I hope that that kind of um, homework does is start to get your minds thinking on, oh, there are a lot of things. If you start jotting them down, like if you begin to list out the virtues that you know you need to grow in, you start listing out the sins that are having a hard time struggling with. You start to list out the family that you want to pray for, the believers in the church family, the lost people in your life that you want to start to come to Christ. The list starts to get pretty long. Many Christians will divide that list over the course of days and then weekly and systematically work through those things. I think God is honored by getting serious about it. There are some who kind of feel that's too structured. Prayer should just be like, you know, just let it rip, flee flowing, free flowing, that kind of thing. I, I think we can see from scripture that there are ways that even many of the Psalms, the prayers there are structured and that God is honored by a systematic seriousness about these things. Other Christians will pray through the Lord's model prayer daily. Now listen, not simply reciting it. We oppose that. We know that that prayer is often misused. It's simply recited 10 times in a row, thinking that they're building points and merit with God. That's not at all how it was given. Jesus even said right before he gave it, don't emptily with an empty kind of mind, just rip it off of your lips. But he did give it as a model. So actually Christians for centuries have been using this. So here's how it goes. You start with the first request, hallowed be your name. And you stop there. You pray for yourself. God, show me your glory. God, use me to show your glory. Then you begin to pray for your family and you begin to pray and ask for God to hallow his name to them. Then you move out concentrically, the people in your life, you're praying and asking God to show his glory there. You move out to the world, God, God, show your glory to the nations. And as you're praying that, the thought comes to you, if God's gonna show his glory to the nations, some Christians have gotta go. Lord, raise up workers. You're praying for the work of God to come. And then you move through the next one, your kingdom come. God's kingdom comes, scripture says, every time a soul repents and enters the kingdom. So you're praying for more. Your will be done on earth just like it is in heaven. So you begin to pray that for yourself. What does it mean just like it is in heaven? When God gives a command to the angels in heaven, how do they obey? With joy. They jump to go obey. God, I'm asking you'll bring me there all the places in my heart in rebellion, bring me to submission. And then you pray that outward and you pray that for more and more, etc. Many Christians systematically read through the Psalms daily. And whatever the subject of the Psalm, they make that the subject of their praying that day. Sometimes Christians will take a new passage for the week. 
Places like that prayer that Paul prays for Christians in Ephesians 1 or Colossians 1 and maybe takes one of those requests and prays that for all the people they, they care for in their lives. God, God, show us more of the hope we have in Christ. As I pray for you all, you're a part of this church family. You're on my list, divided up through the week. And generally what I do is take some new part of a request, either from John 17, Ephesians 1, Matthew 6, and take one of those and pray that for you through the week. Others have adopted the more pray without ceasing approach, which is a, which is a command for all of us, regardless of how you do this. I told you last week, Spurgeon said that he didn't think he ever prayed for more than five minutes at a time but he also never went five minutes without praying. That walking through the day and just continually knowing God is with me everywhere that I go, the Holy Spirit is inside of me, and praying as you are on the way, turning off the radio whenever you're in the car or, or just all throughout your day, uttering up small prayers. But not only do we need to strategize on what we will pray, but also when. When will you pray? Will you wake up 20 minutes earlier and take a walk? Will you turn off the radio on the drive to work and plead for souls? Will you take your lunch break to meditate on scripture and to pray? What is your strategy? Friends, what would happen if every single day, the entirety of our church family, we all began to pray like these things we are seeing here? What would happen if we began to pray for God to hallow his name in Ferdinand? What would happen if we began to pray daily for our holiness and God's glory to be shown? You mark this. Every single revival of history that we can track was always preceded by an increased interest in prayer. What I mean is this. God led his people to get excited about prayer, gave themselves to a, a season of intentional praying, and then... He poured out a season of awakening where souls were saved and a movement of the gospel took place. God doesn't owe us, but he delights to give his people grace and he delights to give his people power for the work he has called us to. And he's decided to use the prayers of his people. As we will lean into this more, we will see more of God's grace. So Christian, be devoted to prayer. You who have not yet turned to Christ, you who have not yet responded to the gospel to be saved, you do need to take careful heed of the words that these promises, the thousands of promises of the Bible, they're not for you yet. They can be even now if you will respond. But the Bible does show us this, that those who genuinely seek they can ask and God will give you more. If there are particular questions that are keeping you from either repenting or believing, then ask those questions to God. Ask God to show you more. Ask God to reveal himself to you. Many, many Christians down through the centuries will testify that their coming to faith was preceded by asking God, just show me if you're even there. And God in mercy worked in their lives. Well, friends, in just a moment here, we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. So let me give a couple of just uh, instructions before we come to that time. We're going to pray here in just a moment. 
As we usually do, we give a few moments of silence for you to pray and confess sin to God and have our hearts made right before we come to him. But a few instructions to help you. If you're visiting with us this morning, glad that you are here. We don't require anyone to be a member of the church in order to take the Lord's Supper with us, but we give the requirements, we believe scripture does, that you must have repented of your sins, trusted in Christ to be saved, and then followed that up with biblical baptism. That's not our rules. We just find that coming straight out of 1 Corinthians 11. The Bible also says that Christians need to examine themselves before we partake, making sure that we don't have unrepentant sin in our lives, that whatever we have going on, that we lay that down before God before we do something sacred like partake in the Lord's Supper. So let me ask for this. Let me ask you to just bow your heads for a moment and I'll give about a minute for prayer for you personally and then I'll close this in prayer and we'll proceed. Oh Lord, our God, we ask you to forgive us for all of the ways we have fallen short. God, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are indebted to us. God, I pray that you will look on us with grace, Lord, as individuals, Father, Father, also corporately, as a church family. Lord, help us to remember the broken body, the shed blood, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus for our salvation. We pray these things through Christ. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed Pastor Josh LaGrange's sermon titled Active, Consistent, and Fervent Prayer, Part 2. Tune in again next week as we continue through God's Word at True Vine Baptist Church. We also invite you to like our Facebook page, follow us on Twitter at TrueVineIND, or visit our website at true-vine-baptist.org.